to be uh, back with you uh, last Saturday, just to kind of give you a little insight, um, last Saturday, uh, Matt Iglesias, um, Megan Kelly, Adam Zapp, slash Zappletal, slash Zappolino, uh, which you can ask him about that, uh, we, uh, we went with a team from the BCM that was led by uh, Mandy Trammell, who many of you know, and Megan Rogers, who you all probably know, uh, led a, a group uh, of college students to go work at the the Bowery Mission, which is uh, the third oldest mission in the United States. And by mission, I don't mean like mission church. I mean like a mission that uh, ministers to um, the homeless uh, community in that part of New York City. And... Um, so we went with, with this group because they had some open spots, and there's uh, something very intriguing about uh, our church uh, just getting more and more involved in various areas of ministry, uh, especially with, with the homeless community in our city, uh, to be able to go to New York City where um, the uh, homeless population is so so big and the missions there have been doing things for so long, to be able to go and, um, and one, to serve the mission and serve... Uh, the homeless men and women, um, but also to, to see how they do things um, and, and maybe just some ways that, that God's started some things up there that maybe we could uh, that could translate back here. Um, something about this mission in particular is that they have a, uh, a residential program that's designed to bring men from um, living on the streets and in six months of uh, discipleship and counseling and uh, job training, get them ready uh, and prepared to send them uh, for them to get back on their feet, uh, working and living on their own. Um, and so the idea of uh, going beyond uh, the soup kitchens and the overnight shelters and looking into uh, a program that's, that's, that's been in place and it's been just, um, God's been using that program to bring about that kind of life change is very intriguing uh, because we don't have that here. And uh, so to be able to go and to, to see it and to talk to the men who are involved in it and to talk to the guys who run it. And uh, many, almost all the ones who have who run this deal have been through it themselves and all that kind of stuff. So we got to go up there and serve alongside them for uh, several days. And it was phenomenal. We'll probably talk more about it at some other point. But uh, thanks to those of you who uh, prayed for us and have been asking you know, about it and everything. It's definitely the, a difficult thing to process um, a fairly huge amount of culture shock to go from from that environment all day long and then you know we had nights free so you get on the subway next you know you're in Times Square and it's just I mean you go from like one extreme to the other you know within a matter of 30 minutes and you go from um, you know tremendous need to tremendous excess just like that and to go back and forth in that it's really just really kind of rocks your world so um, so I come to you tonight uh, with a lot on the old heart, and so, um, but I'm not gonna. Uh, this is not. It's not about that. So, uh, so thanks for that. And um, if all the questions you want to ask, all of us would love to talk about it. And uh, we're gonna meet with our homeless ministry team and kind of continue to dream and pray that forward and uh, share with the elders and stuff and kind of see 
if anything, you know, what kind of what happens next. So, um, so tonight what I, what I feel like I'm supposed to do with, um, with our time together is try and uh, wrap up the last couple of weeks of sermons and community group material and Advent conspiracy stuff and all that stuff to kind of um, bring it to some sort of conclusion since this is our last uh, gathering until Christmas Eve, which I know many of you will, will be off uh, doing things with friends and family and stuff. So um, so if this stuff sounds familiar, it's on purpose because it's kind of recapping things and rehashing some stuff. Uh, the last time that I was uh, here, so wait, go ahead and turn to Luke 4. Um, that's where we're going to be tonight. Um, that's where community groups were this week and stuff. Last time I was here, I uh, talked about uh, Advent and just historically uh, how that fits into the church calendar and why it's there and how it's not just a replacement. It's not like a more spiritual way to say Christmas. Uh, it's actually very different. Um, it is a season of the church calendar that celebrates the uh, Advent of Jesus. Advent meaning, meaning arrival and uh Historically, Advent not only meaning the first arrival, but also looking toward the second arrival. Um, so uh, Christmas is pretty much about the first arrival, and Advent kind of looks at both. And and the way that that I was sort of breaking it down uh, was uh, to look at the story of God as like three three sections of events. First one, God made everything and it was awesome. The second one, uh, man sinned and messed everything up, literally. And then the third section is God comes and fixes everything and makes it all uh, right again. Um, so, uh, so the first one is is a given. Second one, uh, when when man sinned and messed everything up, and I say everything, it's literally like uh, sin leads to death and disease and injustice and earthquakes and hurricanes and I mean everything horrible about the world, uh, greed and, and lust and betrayal and uh, every everything that you could possibly think of that's terrible about the world comes from that second deal. Um, and so God made everything was awesome, everything got messed up, and now uh, God is fixing everything. And you, you take that last section, and there's there's kind of, uh, the way I, I see it, there's like three parts to that last section. The first one is um, uh, Jesus comes and fixes some things, and then, uh, then there, there's a process of Jesus fixing some things, and then there's a final Jesus fixing of things. So he shows up, and there's some stuff that happens right away that he just, boom, it's done. It's going to happen. Um, but most of the things uh, that he is fixing, there's, there's this process involved. Um, and then the, the final deal. So uh, things he fixes right away would be like salvation. Like he, he comes in, and um, he leads us unto salvation. Like he um, uh, whispers to us, and he's saying, like, hey, there's a veil. You can't really see what's going on. Remember that we talked about in the mirror and all that kind of stuff? So he initiates that process. Uh, we want him to take the veil away. He takes the veil away. You see the condition of your heart, and you can't do anything about it. He says, I can fix it. And he takes it, heart of stone, heart of flesh, all that stuff. So there's, like, instant, like, redemption, you are saved, whatever. That's something he does right away. And so all over the world, ever since he was here, people have been, like, like coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior as the Messiah, because of that first advent, the first coming, uh, what Christmas celebrates. Um, so that's one of the things that has happened right away. Um, there are, are times when he, um, he heals right away, he restores right away, he brings about forgiveness or peace. I mean, there are some things that are just instantaneous that he just, boom, just happens. Um, most of the things, though, are involved in that second deal where there's like this process that's being played out. 
you can call it sanctification. You can call it maturing. You can call it just living. It doesn't really matter. Uh, most things, God is he, he chooses to to fix and make right through some sort of process. And it's so frustrating because uh, it would be so awesome if as soon as you got saved, like every issue, every problem, every sin, every struggle, every whatever was just automatically fixed. And most of them are not that way. Sometimes it happens. But most of the time, you it's it's about him fixing the heart. And then he slowly brings about change, that inside-out kind of change, over this process that goes and goes and goes and goes over the course of life. And so that's where most of us are. And all three of these things are him fixing it. Sometimes he fixes it right away, and sometimes it's slowly over time. That's why you watch people... Um, grow more and more compassionate, more and more patient. Um, more and more f- uh, fruit of the Spirit begins to show in their life, and less and less of the flesh begins to reign. And that's why you just get some like older, older, older people that are, look so much like Jesus, it's crazy, was because they've been walking in this slow process for so long, trusting Him and abiding and being obedient and struggling uh, through things and, and trusting Him more and more and walking in community and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's that longevity that's there and that's the that slow change that kind of life that god just really just shines through to watch someone go from looking like this looking like this it's incredible then there's some things that are not going to be made right until he comes back you know there's just some stuff he's just uh, he just chooses to wait for whatever reason so the entire last section of that three section story it's all him fixing it's just some stuff happens right away and some happens in the process and some happens at the end and so where we find ourselves in the story is we're in between his first coming and his second coming, his first advent and his second advent. So we look forward to the second one based on the first one. That's kind of where we find ourselves. And, and the way that I, that I want us to connect it tonight uh, is, is to think about um, your like Jewish wedding customs. Everybody got it? No? Okay. Um, all kinds of, of uh, Jewish wedding customs. And I've talked about this before here and there, but let me just kind of narrow it down. Um, when a, a groom and a bride would become engaged, uh, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was a discussion among the family members. Uh, it's not arranged in the sense that oh, when you think arranged marriage, but it kind of was like it was a negotiation uh, because uh, the father of the bride was losing a worker in the household and the whole house worked together to provide, to put food on the table and all that kind of stuff. So he was losing someone, not just losing a daughter in the emotional sense, but like losing a worker in a you know, worker sense. And so um, so there was some some negotiating that would happen. And whenever things were settled and everything was good, uh, the, the groom and the bride would drink from a common cup. So the groom w- would drink of the cup, and then uh, the bride-to-be would drink of the cup, and that was the official engagement point. Okay, um, so maybe at the Lord's Supper, Jesus' common cup thing was intentional on many levels. And so anyway, so that was the engagement point. And at that point, um, the, the bride would go, and she would go back to where she lived, and she would wait for the wedding day. She didn't go um, start making plans and calling florists and all that kind of stuff. She went home and waited. And the groom did all the work. 
So the groom would go and he would uh, build a room onto uh, the family home, which is a part of like a network of homes or whatever. He would build a room and get everything straight and he would make all the plans and all the arrangements. And when everything was ready, he would uh, get the whole community together and they would uh, parade over to uh, where the bride-to-be lived and knock on the door and she would answer the door and he would say, you know, whatever, it's time to get married, let's go, and, uh, and whatever. So, um, so the, the bride is there hanging out at home, and she wasn't hanging out by herself. Um, she would have friends that would be there with her, uh, you know, being girly probably about the wedding and stuff. And, uh, and so, like, they're there, um, and, uh, but also, like, women from the community would come in and would uh, disciple this bride to be in, like, being a wife and, you know, whatever, whatever it meant back then. Um, and so this time was, was not idle, necessarily. It had times of, like, preparation and all that stuff. But um, some, uh, you just never really knew. I mean, the bride-to-be never knew when the wedding was going to be. Never knew what day the, the knock would come or at what point, if it would be a week or six weeks or six months or a year. I mean, who, she just didn't know. So she had to wait patiently. Well, Advent is is our waiting patiently time as the bride of Christ. So, um, so Jesus and the disciples, when they drank from the common cup, that was that was an engagement moment. I mean, it was a part of the of the Passover meal and all that kind of stuff. But there was something bigger hap- happening there. When they drank of that cup, that was that signified a bond between. Jesus as the incarnate uh, word and man. And so Jesus has gone, like he said, to prepare a place for us like a groom does. And we, the bride, are waiting where we live like a bride does. And so Advent is, is us waiting and preparing and anticipating the knock on the door. Remember? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, We're waiting for that. And so historically, Advent is like, it's that waiting, it's that anticipation, it's that longing for the day when the final step of those, that three-step process is done. Like he's fixed it and he's fixing stuff and we're waiting for that final, like no more sin, no more death, no more disease, no more earthquakes, no more injustice, no more hatred, no more rejection, no more betrayal, no more, no, just none, none of that, it's all done. We're waiting to hear that door. Now, the church is probably, uh, like, calling her a bride in waiting is probably, like, just so incredibly accurate. Because, like, like most uh, brides, like, you probably, like, are, like, super excited at first. Um, and not that and, uh, all brides or future brides or past brides, whatever. Uh, I'm not trying to talk about you. But, like, think about a first century Jewish bride, okay? She's probably, like, at first thinking it's going to be, like, six hours. Like, how hard is it to build a house, you know? I mean, how long can it really take? And, uh, like, what if... You know, I mean, who knows? So she's probably, like, super excited, super excited. And then, like, if it takes, like, a long time, there probably just comes a point where, you know, it's like, if her, like, friend's like, what if it's today? And she's probably like, well, it wasn't yesterday. It hasn't been six weeks. I mean, you know, whatever. Maybe it's today. Who knows? Probably get a little lethargic, you know. And probably get a little frustrated. There's got to be a little bit of, like, what is he waiting on? What is it taking so long? How big is his house? Yeah, I don't need a big house. And so there's probably some impatience that's there, and uh, a little frustration, a little whatever. 
Um, and maybe even just a little bit of interest is lost at some point. You know, you, you know, I don't know, get to watching you know some marathon on Bravo or something. You know, about making cakes or dresses or something. And, that becomes interesting, and you repaint the house a couple of times, move furniture around. It's probably just like, ah, oh, whatever. I've done everything to do. I don't really know what to do. Maybe he's not even coming. If he does, I don't care. He probably looks totally different now anyway. Like, whatever. Uh, and and so so here's 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 how I see Advent playing playing a role. Advent Advent would be like a friend who like comes like comes over uh, like every so often, and. Um, is like that friend who asks like a million questions, and even though they're great questions, they're they're kind of annoying at first. But then you're really glad to ask them later. And, and here's what I mean: like for a bride that has grown lethargic and just doesn't really care and kind of frustrated and just isn't as excited, Advent would be that friend that comes in and like, "Are you so excited to get married? Like, do you think it might be today?" Or maybe tomorrow, like maybe like next couple of days would be would be would be awesome. They're like, like, what do you what do you miss most? Like, what do you can't like? What's the like the best part you think gonna be? Uh, you know, like you, like I mean, is it like the wedding part? Or is it like the being like a mom maybe part or the whatever part? I mean, like, what do you miss about him? Like, like uh, don't you just miss his voice? Like, I bet you just go crazy not being able to hear his voice after you you know. Oh. And then the bride begins to answer some of those questions. I'm like, yeah, I, I do kind of miss, you know, talking to him. And the person's like, what do you miss most? Like, what is it? You know, it's like, oh, he's very kind or he's very this or very whatever. And that friend is like, oh, man, remember the first, like, remember the, like, the engagement point? Remember that point, like, with the, the cup and the agreement and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I remember that. Remember when you first met? Like, oh, like, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? Remember how excited you were? You know what I'm saying? It's so like it's like those kinds of things. That's what Advent does. Advent's like, um, like I bet you can't wait for the next coming, right? And you're like, I don't know. I don't ever think about Jesus coming back. And you start thinking about Jesus coming back. You're like, oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. You know, can't you wait for there to be no more diseases on the entire earth? You're like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that in a while. But that's gonna be that's gonna be incredible. We just sang it in His name. All all oppression will cease. You're like, wow, that's gonna be. This would be ridiculous. There's going to be no more, I'm better than you, or I'm taking advantage of this, or whatever. You start thinking about that stuff. And you start thinking about his first coming, and the, the what happened, and you start reliving the story, and you start thinking about all the stories of Jesus, and all the miracles, and how kind he is, and all the things God teaching. And next thing you know, like you're amped up again. Like you cannot wait for the next coming. You're longing for that. You're expecting that. You just, I mean, it is, you just, you wish... It was today. That's what Advent does. Advent is that friend that comes in and stirs up all that affection again for your Savior and your Lord and the fact that He is coming. And one day that door's going to have a knock on it and it's going to be time. That's what Advent does. That's where we are. And so built into the church calendar is every year this, you know, this whatever it is, four and a half, five week time of. Uh, those affections getting stirred up, getting stirred up, and thinking about the Messiah and who He is and what He's done and what it's like, and 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 us getting to the point where we're like Jesus, just come quickly, come quickly and end all this misery. So I want us to look for a few minutes at what what does it mean? Like how do we 
how do we spend that waiting time well? You know, because you don't want to be a bride who just sits back and you're like, okay, well, I'm definitely getting married one day, so I'll just sit back and do nothing until then. And I think for a long time that's like what we've seen out of many believers is just kind of the idea of like, well, I'm going to heaven, so until then, I don't know, we'll see what happens. And that's so much of what uh, I think God has, has brought together in our churches of people who are, are real turned off by that, by that attitude, but aren't really sure what the other the other side of the coin looks like all the time. And I think he's been pushing us more and more into like a missional kind of mindset because because we don't want to be that lethargic bride who has no interest in you know doing anything but waiting. Like we want to wait well, we want to anticipate well, we want to to see what that looks like. And so. The, the big picture idea, I think, of, of how do we spend this time well between the two Advents, I, I think, is, is to join Jesus in, uh, in his mission. Like, join him in the, that third step of doing things, you know, of the instantly and then the process and then the final deal. And it seems kind of strange because, like, well, you can't really, I can't save anybody, I can't heal anybody, I can't whatever. You know, so how do, I, how do we join him in what he's doing? Let's look at this real quick. Um. Look at uh, verse 16 in chapter 4. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had uh, been brought up. Okay, so this is his home, uh, hometown. That was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Okay, so hometown, home, home synagogue. Um, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were focused, I'm sorry, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So here's this uh, prophecy about the Messiah, and Jesus stands up and reads it, and everybody would have been familiar with it in the synagogue. And he, and he says, uh, today this has happened. This has been fulfilled. Um, a lot of guts to do that. And so here's this prophecy made so long ago, and he's saying, this has come true, and I'm, I'm the guy that's going to fulfill it. And so uh, in community groups this past week, kind of broke this down and kind of attached some meaning to some of these things. Um, when it says uh, good news to the poor in verse uh, 18, that he's anointed me, to, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, um, that word poor doesn't mean like financially poor only. Um, and it was interesting, I, I, I got to do one of the chapels at this mission in New York this week, and I uh, felt like this was the text to go to, and I uh, was all confident about it, and everything was good until I stood up, and there's this chapel, like, they, they do three hot meals a day, but you have to go to chapel before in order to eat. And so uh, so this chapel packed in. I mean, at 6.15 a.m., chapel's full because uh, they serve breakfast at 7. And so this was like the midday chapel. And uh, so midday chapel, and there's 150 to 200 people packed into this deal. And I'm all confident about it. And then I get up, and I stand up, and I look up at the room. And, like, just kind of my... It, you know, like a roller coaster or whatever when your stomach kind of drops or it goes up. I can't figure out which way it goes. Uh, had that feeling. It's like, oh, my, what am I doing? Uh, what, you know, what in the world do I have to bring? And then, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, 
what can I possibly offer this room? And then I remembered my first point, which is the poor means those who are in desperate need of God's grace. And then I felt a lot better. Um, Because we all find ourselves in that first part. Good news to the poor. Good news to those in desperate need of God's grace. So um, it may be financial. Like you may need God's grace to flow into your life in the way of finances. Um, But it might be emotional. It might be relational. It might be spiritual. Um, Every one of us on the planet finds ourselves in that word poor right there. And if you're a sinner or a saint, it doesn't matter. You find yourself there because desperately in need of God's grace describes everybody everywhere all the time. So Jesus says, I've come to bring good news to everybody, basically. And so for us to join him in that, we also proclaim good news to those in desperate need of God's grace. So you find me somewhere on the planet who's outside of that, um, and like you let me know. But other than that, let's just assume that everybody that we meet all the time everywhere is like who we're called to. Um, so this is so and then he kind of explains it more. Good news to the poor is generally gets more specific. Um, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Um, liberty to the captives. Uh, I I believe and we went this direction with a community group, um, talking about those who who are not saved those who are still separate from God because of sin, Um, those who are, uh, like, we want to talk in terms of captivity, are chained to the wall, and there's nothing they can do about it. And outside intervention is what it takes, you know, to free someone from that kind of captivity. Um, And and I really wish wish that our community group had met this past week so we could have this discussion, and I wish I could have listened in on all of our groups to begin to talk about uh, the people in our lives who, as far as we can tell, do not know Jesus as Messiah. And what that's like for us, and how much how much do we pray? And, and honestly, I mean, how, like, have some of us grown into that lethargic bride in regard to this? You know? Have we gone from it, like, really just burdening us for our friends and our family members and our coworkers, those who just want nothing to do with Jesus at all, has it stopped breaking our hearts and it just kind of just started being something that's just kind of, it is what it is, you know? And uh, I think that I think that we've all been there at different points. I think it's easy to get frustrated and easy to give up. And uh, and so to wait well is is to is to listen to what that Advent friend is telling us. To listen to those questions that come with this season. And to get stirred up again for the fact that that Jesus has come to bring good news to those that are poor, especially in that regard, to bring liberty there, and that's what He's there to do. So we join Him in that. Now, joining Him in that does not mean we like like assist Him, or that He like needs some helpers or whatever. He's perfectly capable and competent. He doesn't need us in that sense, but He uses us. And if we are not being prayerful and like if that is not something that that is like completely like in the forefront of our minds and something that we're just constantly praying for and looking for opportunities and just begging the lord for if our prayer is not jesus come quickly into their lives um then then maybe the whole reason he put us in these families and these friend groups and these places of employment is to be able to bring that message somehow 
So if we want to wait well, having friends and loved ones who don't know Jesus is, is not something that we take lightly. It's something that we would struggle with I mean, to even talk about without getting emotional. There's this guy at the mission up there, and he's, he was sharing his testimony with us. And like we were sitting around a table, and we were talking with him, and, and like he just he was just talking and talking and talking. And he's like, "Look, he's like, I'm sorry." He's like, "But when I when I get to talking about Jesus, he's like, I, I can't even eat. He's like, I, I can't like, he's like, I get so stirred up. Like I don't want any, I don't even want food. Like I just it just evokes something in me, and I just it affects me physically." I was like, "Man, when was the last time I was affected physically by the by the joy and affection that are stirred within me?" I'm thinking apply to this. I was really thinking like, when was the last time I was just driven to prayer and to tears over those I know who don't know Christ? So if we want to wait well, we join Him in that. We're faithful and obedient when He opens those doors to love Him and to share Jesus with Him. Next part: the recovering of sight to the blind. In the community group we talked about like. Took it from a from a physical like physical um, issues kind of standpoint. Because spiritually blind, we you know we just talked about, and so for those who are who are sick and who have um, you know illnesses and diseases and stuff like that, that's a that's quite different uh, when we're talking about joining Jesus in that. I mean, how do you join Him in recovering of sight to the blind and and the restoring the health of people all around us? Because that's that's out of our hands too, you know. I mean, other than like, go to the doctor, take some Nyquil, you know. Uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, how do you how do you even do that? And it's difficult. And so, you know, we can say, um, we can ask Jesus to heal him instantly, or we can ask Jesus to heal in that process over time, or we can just rest in the fact that one day in eternity these things won't be an issue. Um, and I say, I don't really know. I don't really know. Maybe he's calling to tell us the answer. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't really know uh, 100% like how that's how how we do that. Okay. So let me, let me tell you where where I I have have come from a pastoral standpoint with our people. Um, one, I, I I think we're supposed to pray for healing, no matter what. Like I think that uh, I mean, many of you probably saw the article on Jonathan in the people section this week. Um, and I think we should pray for Jonathan's healing. Don't you think that? It's okay to say yes out loud. Don't you think that? Okay, all right. Now, I think we should do that, and I'm pretty sure Jonathan does that. Um, and you can pray for healing and still be content. Jonathan is content, but also prays for healing. So you could be both of those things, right? So I think we should pray for healing because God can heal. But we also know that sometimes he, he chooses not to heal. Sometimes he, um, he chooses to glorify himself through a different kind of healing, like the kind that the article talked about with Jonathan. So he, he healed Jonathan uh, through the doctors and, and catching things ahead of time and, and all the giftings and all the skills and everything to get Jonathan to the point where, like, he's like he's the dude, right? Um, not like Lebowski, but he's like he's our guy, right? Uh, and so, like, he's he's where he is. So he healed him, and now he's 
healing him, right, emotionally. He healed him spiritually. He healed some things physically. He's continuing to heal through the enzyme deals and all that kind of stuff or whatever. And so I think that praying for that is absolutely legitimate. Those of you who have friends and family members who are suffering from different kinds of things, I believe that we should ask Jesus to heal them. Now, he, he may not, um, but he will heal them in his way and in his time. And so I think for us, there's a different kind of way for us to take care of the sick. Like I think for us, it's, it's about like how can, how can I take care of Jonathan? How can re- recovering of sight to the blind, how can I uh, apply to, to Jonathan? Let's use him as an example, even though he hates it and he's covering up his ears right now. He thinks I can't see him, but I can see him. Uh, I mean, don't don't you think that um, joining Jesus in that kind of ministry uh, to Jonathan is stuff like uh, when he needs a ride somewhere, we bring him, right? When um, when he needs stuff, he tells us, and we do the best. You know, we we meet those needs. Whenever you know someone who's in the hospital, don't you go and see him? Don't you? Like, tell them that you love them, and don't you, like, bring food if you can, and, and don't you, like, pray for them and offer to pray with them and see what they need. And, I mean, how, how can we take care of those who are sick and whatever among us? Through those things, Jesus is honored by that kind of ministry. Remember Matthew 25 when he said, when I was, was sick, you came to visit me. When I was hungry, he gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, he gave me something to drink. He says, all those things is just like doing it to me when you take care of somebody. And so Jesus is a caregiver. And so to wait well in regard to this, I believe, is to take care of those, whether that's a physical need or an emotional need or a spiritual need, that we're joining him in that. So if we want to wait well, we look around us at those who are hurting, and we respond to those things. Instead of being a bride who sits back and does nothing, we listen to the voice of Advent that's saying, uh, remember, like, oh, I, can't, I bet you can't wait for this. I bet you can't wait for this. What are you going to do about this? And whatever. And you're starting to think about who he is. And how would Jesus respond to Jonathan? How would Jesus respond to a grandmother that has cancer? How would, John, uh, how would Jesus respond to... I said, Jonathan, got to mix them up. Uh, how would how would Jesus respond to this situation, this situation? Well, chances are he would pray for healing and he would do everything that he could to bless and love that person. That would be that would be Advent. Um, the next part, uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Um, oppression is different from captivity. There are plenty of people who have been set free from captivity in regard to sin, um, but are oppressed by baggage, baggage from sin, baggage from uh, emotional, you know, whatever, just, I mean, just wounds that have just never really been tended to. And so I think a part of what Jesus says in this passage is like, you know, you don't have to walk around wounded. You don't have to carry around that kind of baggage. Like that can be, you can be free from that. And we all know people who are, they're just, they're literally paralyzed by stuff that's happened that they've been through. And they either don't want to deal with it or they don't know how to deal with it. The thing about oppression is it usually takes someone from the outside intervening. Jesus says, hey, I've come to 
not only set captives free and give sight back to the blind, but people who are being oppressed by whatever it is, are come to set that right too. And so we're surrounded by we're surrounded by this, and some of us are like walking through through that this stuff now. And you see depression and issues with anxiety and stuff, scars from your childhood and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, let's, let's deal with those things. And so how do we join him in doing that? Because we can't heal those wounds. He heals them. But you know what? He uses his church in tremendous ways to do that. And so we take our church and we split us up into these community groups and we try to get everybody to share their lives with each other. And hopefully someone shares something and the response is not like the silence and then like crickets chirping. Hopefully the response is the truth of who God is and what he has done and the response is love and compassion and grace. And hopefully there's a world out there where, where people begin to open up and they begin to share these, these wounds and all this baggage and all this stuff that we're there joining Jesus in healing that stuff by responding with truth. And a lot of times, you know what it comes down to? Honestly, like, I would say 90% of ministry is being quick to listen and being slow to speak. Just listen. Just listen. And don't speak too soon. Speak the words of truth as the Spirit gives them to you. I think most people really just want somebody to listen. I think that's joining Jesus in like setting free those who are oppressed. And so we can be the uh, lethargic bride who just sits back and when someone bears their soul and you're like, yeah, that's, that's tough, man. And that's it. Or we can be the bride who, when stirred in our affections for who Jesus is and what he's called to do and the fact that, that he's fixing everything, we can just respond with, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Look, Jesus wants to deal with that junk right now. Like he, he's stirring things up and he's there and next thing you know, you're just, you're just, just covering them with truth and with grace. And there's no judgment and there's no whatever. I mean, that's, that's what ministry is. That's what missional living is. And the last thing he says is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, it's a reference to the year of Jubilee. And so real quick, here's what would happen in the year of Jubilee. Um, every 50th year, um, all debts were canceled. And uh, so if, if anybody, if you owed someone something and you went to work on their farm or something like that as a way of paying off that debt, that debt was canceled. All the land went back to the original owners. Um, if... Uh, you were somehow, if you had to go work for someone else in another uh, tribe or somewhere else, whatever, you went back. So all the families got reset. All the land went back to the original owners. Uh, you didn't work the land for the entire year. So there was no labor. Uh, the land got to rest. Uh, there was God provided enough food for everything. Um, so all the slaves were set free, uh, all debts, all the land. Uh, everything that happened in that year was just one big celebration of who God is. And the reason why, uh, not the reason, but one of the reasons why God did this was because um, if, if every so often you hit the reset button, um, there's, there's no way for one group to get like ahead of another group and to take advantage of another group. Because even when that begins to happen, uh, at some point, the reset button gets hit and everything is back to normal. 
And it's a way of, of showing that, that everything belongs to God and everyone belongs to God. And so when Jesus is saying this, uh, he's basically saying, look, the, I'm, here, I'm here to level the playing field across the board. The other day, here I'm standing in front of 150 uh, homeless men, and I say the playing field has been leveled. And in this room, the playing field has been leveled. It's one of the things that God taught that group in New York this past week over and over again is that there's no difference between anybody, anywhere. They had this, uh, it was this really weird moment for us because you had the chapel on, like, right, let's say, like, right here, and then, the, like, the next room was the dining hall, and they had this, this dinner for all of the, like, the board of trustees for the Bowery Mission. So these are, like, big timers. And uh, so it was really weird, and it's, I mean, I'm, it's going to sound real judgmental, but you'll see where I'm going because I was very judgmental about it. Uh, so on this side, uh, in this beautiful chapel, and they like buff the floors, and they bring out on these tables and tablecloths, and like fold the napkins into like swans or something. And uh, there's like crystal, and there's candlelight, and all this stuff, and it's all just elegant and whatever. And then in this room over here, there's 150 homeless dudes uh, eating, you know. So rich folks, homeless folks. And we were just so irritated, you know, just angry at just the, you know, just, it was just weird that they would roll out the red carpet for this group and this group raises all the money to help this group, but there wasn't any like intermingling or whatever. It was like ushering them quickly into here and all this stuff. And there wasn't a lot of heat in the chapel. And so they're all apologizing. Oh, we're sorry. It's cold in here. You know, stuff. We're like, these guys have been outside all day, and it's been in the 20s the whole day, and you're complaining because it's like, oh, it's 62 degrees in the chapel, you know? And the guy that, that's the director of the place, uh, I asked him, I said, I said which, which room would you rather be in? And he said, something to effect of, well, I mean, God's, God's doing ministry in both of them. All right. The playing field is leveled in the eyes of God. Now, we got still have some social things to work through, obviously. But from Jesus' perspective, it's, it's the same. Those two rooms were equally beloved to him. Jesus doesn't, he didn't love the room of homeless men and hate the room full of rich men. He loves them both. You're the Lord's favor, been proclaimed. The reset button has been hit. Everybody's the same. And so to join him in this part is to figure out how how we proclaim that and how we work against in, against injustice and it's not just giving money to Living Water International, you know. It's not just that kind of stuff. We contribute to social like socially unjust things all the time. Like one of my favorite things uh to say lately uh in my mind is uh uh think before you tweet because people tweet the stupidest stuff all the time and I don't just mean like you know like truly dumb things but just emotional you know whatever like take a picture of somebody and make fun of them and put it up on Twitter and it's like you just mocked a fellow image bearer of God you know and I've done it I'm not like pointing the finger at anybody like that that's me as well you know so we, we have that's contributing to injustice. It's saying I'm better than this person. Look how stupid they are, and look how funny I'm 
I can be. We have to stop that stuff. We have to stop um, making fun of people uh, to make ourselves look cool and all that kind of. We have to stop that because that is injustice. That's I, to, to me, injustice is any way that we can make the playing field unlevel again. Like Jesus made it level, and we're trying to like build build up a mound or something that we can stand up on. And we gotta quit trying to do that. So I think it's social stuff. I think it's like even down to the words that we choose to use, how we talk to each other. Um, I'm all about teasing each other and stuff when you're good friends. I think there's something endearing about the fact that like, um, like, like people can make fun of me and I don't like run away crying, you know, whatever. Like I think that's good that that can happen and like we're all cool. I think it's fine. But we all know it goes too far sometimes. That's just got to stop. We have to, and like, we have to stop like hoarding things to ourselves. We have to, we have to, we have to be generous with our time, and we have to be generous with our with ourselves and our abilities and our gifts and our money, and and that's like all those things go into it. And all those ways we join him in proclaiming that. Now, Advent, uh, like in many traditions, uh, has uh, an element of confession that's a part of it. And I think for us, like tonight, and we're not going to have like open mic confession time, so don't freak out. And we're not going to have altar call confessions or anything like that. This is going to be like for you to maybe take somewhere, uh, take on your own to think about. But I think confession, when you look at this passage of Scripture, I can find in every single way, some way that I have become the lethargic bride who has ignored the, the voice of Advent stirring things up. Either in regard to those who are lost or, or those who are sick and, and have needs, those who are being oppressed emotionally or whatever, or those who have contributed to making the playing field unlevel somehow. And I think a part of celebrating Advent is confessing that to the Lord, confessing that to each other, confessing that to your spouse, confessing that to whoever, and saying, look, I need you to pray for me because I've, I have grown lethargic and I've not been joining Jesus in what he's come to do, and I want to be the bride fully awake. And then you begin to do it. You begin to pray for the lost or care for the sick and listen and care for those who are hurting and quit tweeting stupid stuff and you begin, you know, push into generosity and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's Advent for us. That's Advent. Let me pray. I thank you for, um, for just having the, uh, the foresight to see uh, our need as a bride um, who, who really has just been waiting and waiting and waiting that you saw um, you saw our need to just be awakened and uh, to be stirred and we thank you for um, for those scriptures and just for church history that is um, each year just kind of coming back and having these these themes to stir us up and you know our hearts like we don't want to we don't want to be that church we don't want to be those kinds of Christians that just sat back and are just sitting there just doing nothing so help us um, help us to to pinpoint those things and to be confessional and repentant about it but then not, not sit there and wallow in it to just those things that you're stirring uh, just to come alive in us that we would uh, we would just immediately jump in and join you in what you're doing 
pray, God, as we just as we sing this final song, that um, maybe this would uh, just be a time to just kind of maybe solidify some of, of what you've been doing in, in our community over the last couple of weeks, uh, which we're so grateful for. Just pray, God, that you would um, you just bring to the surface whatever it is. Help us to be faithful and not to just leave it here in this place. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's stand up. We're just going to sing this. You know this song. Um, this fits into where, where we are. So let's do this as a kind of a conclusion to where we've been.